My name is Ben. And I'm Tani. And we are the hosts of the Too Vague podcast this week. How are you doing this evening, Tani? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yes, I'm doing well. Doing well. Getting excited about the talk. We had a pre-show with Nora about the word translation and her questions about the last show you were on, which was language. I kind of let the cat out of the bag there. You've done translations before, mm-hmm. right? So you have a kind of a working knowledge of that. When you think of the word translation, do you connect it to the job that you used to do? Or is there a different thing that you think of when you think of translation? That's a good question. I think it depends on the context, right? And if you're thinking about it professionally, like what is the job of a translator? Right. Or if you're thinking just for fun when you're reading, for example, right? So... Um, if I'm choosing a book to read and I know that the book was not written in English, and then should I look at who the translator is, you know, and, and am I going to, and if I speak the language, should I try to just read it in the language or should I try to read it in English, right? right? Do you ever do um, both? Yes, and I actually have a funny story about that. There is a famous Brazilian author, you may know, a Paulo Coelho. Okay. And I tried reading one of his most famous books, The Alchemist, in Portuguese. And I absolutely hated it. I could not get past the first few pages. What was it that generated the hate? I didn't like how the prose, how it, the flow of it in Portuguese. I just, it didn't make me want to keep reading, right? Okay. And then when I first moved to Tucson, I was talking to the librarian at my workplace, and he said, have you tried reading it in English? And I was like, no, never even picked up, because I, it was not something that I was interested in, Right. because I really did not like the first few pages. And he said, you should. And I did. And I love the book <laughs> in English now. Okay. I absolutely love I've read it a few times and I would read it again, but not in, in, in Portuguese. Huh. And the person wrote in Portuguese. He's a, he's a Brazilian, right? So the, the book was originally written in Portuguese, but I liked the translation better. Do you ever go back and analyze or try and figure out what that is? Or, I mean, that, that to me wouldn't be, would be something that you would do because you're curious about it as opposed to, I mean, if you read a book, you want to do it for fun and that's it, right? Yeah. Actually, that's a good point. I maybe should try to go back now that I've read the English version yeah. and see if I would like how it sounds in Portuguese again. Yeah. Now that you have a sort of a frame of reference. Yeah. Or it could be like when you read a book and then you see the movie and then you're disappointed in the movie because it doesn't quite hold up to what the book does. Maybe maybe there's that going to be that kind of effect. I mean, it's not visual. But it is translation nonetheless, yeah. right? You're translating yeah. from a book medium into a movie medium. Right, right. right. Okay. And when you say translation, it's not going to be one for one. There are going to be things that do and do not translate Mm-hmm. based on i guess the culture and 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 things like that I, I guess you know what we can we can touch on that later but so that's an interesting story about the the books mm-hmm. it, that's not the one with the the japanese and the brazilian right that's this is different. the brazilian and so the japanese it's a recent book that i i don't know of ja- any japanese but i read a book recently actually too the english version right okay and while i liked 
the novel, it just didn't feel like I was reading in English, even though I was reading in English. Oh, okay. So that was an, an interesting feeling to me as well, because these were the first two books that I read that were written by a Japanese speaker, right? Okay. Or written uh, originally in Japanese. And it felt a little dry to me when I read the novel in English. Hmm. And I don't speak Japanese, so I wouldn't be able to go back and read the, the actual, the original version, right? Right. So I think that, that is, that's interesting and how it felt. It just l didn't feel like English. Were you comparing it to English or were you comparing it to Portuguese? Or is there a little bit of both that goes on? Like when, I'm guessing when you watch a Portuguese movie, it's different than when you watch an English movie or a movie in English that maybe it evokes different feelings yeah. depending on the translation. Have you ever watched movies translated in different languages, one that originated in Portuguese and then yeah. was translated into English and then vice versa? Have you seen those? Yes. Well, the dubbed versions in Portuguese of, yeah. of, of American movies. And I think I watched one Brazilian movie translated into English. Okay. But it was... I don't know. I think there's so much lost in translation there, okay. too. Um, was it, what, my father always liked this movie, okay. this Brazilian movie called Black Orpheus, which is kind of a... It's a, one of the most famous ones. Yeah, 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 exactly. That I've never watched. Oh, no. Okay. Sort of a Romeo and... You, you know the whole yeah. thing. It's like a Romeo and Juliet sort mm -hmm. of love story around Carnival. Uh -huh. Is that the correct pronunciation, Carnival? Carnival. Carnival. Okay. Mm. All right. It's not Carnival. No. No. <laughs> Have you been to Carnival? Um, not the ones in Rio and Sao Paulo, like the big ones. Okay. But I've been okay. to the one They're in my like city. They're like local celebrations of Carnival. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I guess you're right. I guess there are different feelings associated with languages and how you respond to things. Yeah. Right? And that's sort of a contextual sort of thing that probably maybe we sometimes take it for granted as mm -hmm. far as certain there are certain foreign foreign quote-unquote foreign movies like you know mm -hmm. french movies that i've seen that were translated into english but you didn't need to see the translation to understand what was going on in the movie mm -hmm. and therefore it was kind of they kind of fed off each other there was there was this bandelou 13 is the French version, but it's District B-13 mm -hmm. in English. And it is about, you know, it's it's like an action-oriented thing. There's a guy who does parkour. Like one of the French masters of parkour is one of the people, and there's like his understudy who's also in it. But it's an action movie about, basically there's French, France has walled off this sort of ghetto mm -hmm. and is trying to find a way to get rid of it so they can rebuild and something about that movie translated really well as far as the action. And it didn't really, you didn't need to see the actual verbiage. Uh, There's another movie called Shaolin Soccer, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. You need to see it. I saw it in, in both, I think it's Mandarin originally. I remember going to the Casa Video down there on Speedway, mm -hmm. and they had a version of it. And later on, like many, yeah, probably like four or five years later, they came out with a U.S. version of it. These are the same people who did the the movie Kung Fu Hustle, if you ever saw that movie. That was, a, you know, a more well-known mm -hmm. movie by the same group of people. 
But Shaolin Soccer, there weren't any English subtitles. So the first time I saw that movie, it was entirely in Mandarin. And the story translated so well to a visual medium Mm -hmm. that I didn't necessarily need the verbal or written translation because Mm -hmm. you can kind of see where the humorous parts were supposed to be. and And then once those were added... It just sort of added another layer Mm -hmm. to it, to my understanding of it. But originally, I didn't know what it meant. I just know what it meant visually. Have you ever had that experience where where you've seen a foreign movie in a language that you don't? TV or um, in Russian or somewhere, a language that you don't really understand or Finnish or something. And then you just, you're trying to follow based on what you see. So you the acting and then that. you're trying to translate in your head based on what you're seeing right right yeah so it is translation too yeah how do you translate facial expressions <laughs> okay a big, uh, i don't know yeah. there yeah so you're translating my facial expression exactly so that's not that's not a part of translating Oh, it is. It's semiotics, right? Okay. It's sign. So you translation is not only from one language into another. It's also within the same language, and you, it's also with signs mm-hmm. and images, right? right? Or gestures, body language, and things. Exactly. Usually, I think they like if you're writing a book, it's described in the book, so you you don't have to worry about that as far as a, a translation. Probably is my guess, but I think it's mm-hmm. nuanced. Well, it depends. Um, so if you think about like a, a, some gesture, right? If I do this, like with my hand, I'm doing something with my hand in front of you, right? Right, um, which we can totally see over the, uh, over yeah. the, over <laughs> <Yes>. the audio. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Uh, but imagine that I, yeah, like, yeah, I, no. I'm making a movement with my hand. So what am I doing? What is this? What am I doing? What would you say? If I did this to you. I mean, it would depend on the context. Like right now, if I did this, what does this mean to you? Like you're turning something. No, it means hurry up in Portuguese. Oh, does it? Yeah. So if I did this to a Brazilian speaker. They would know. They would know that I'm telling you to hurry up. Okay. Yeah. So if this gesture that I just did to you Uh were written down and some like in Portuguese, right? And then somebody translating that into English, they would have to not only do a word for word translation, but they would also have to add information, which is a a lot of the things that's what a translator does. Not only translating what is being said, but giving more context. So a lot of a part of the job of the translator is to add more information Mm -hmm. that is necessary for the receiver to understand what is being communicated. Because if they had just translated what I did with my hand... Right. It could mean anything. Exactly. Yeah. Like moving my hand laterally. Exactly. (laughs) Fast. Right. Exactly. That's interesting. And this kind of brings a new question to my head as far as translations. Like when you see on television someone translating... A speech or, or interpreting, or interpreting like real time. exactly. Yeah. This, that's that's a translation that occurs real time. Uh-huh. I mean, things can get lost in that translation too. Mm-hmm. So, how much stock do we put in translators who do that as a live? I mean, do that for a living? Do we assume that they have a 
a knowledge that is contextual as far as in addition to knowing the language, they know the culture and how they should the meanings because it is incredibly difficult to try to translate because you're not only translating the language, you're translating body language, you're translating pauses, right? And a lot of that implies adding information to the person that you're translating to so that they are able to understand, right? Right? Because let's say, for example, a politician is speaking and he does something like this, right? right. And I just did it in front of you, another gesture here that right. people can't see. <laughs> but um, then the person translating that or interpreting that, they will have to explain to the audience that's listening to them what that gesture means. Okay. That is a gesture as opposed to body language, right? So body language would be something that's nuanced that you don't quite... I think it qualifies as, as body you? language. Okay. Yes, because like if it I is... raise an eyebrow, do they does that get translated? Like it's like, is that really where we're going with that? Well, because it, that could be interpreted. Is it part of your message? Is it part of your the meaning? If well, it is, it, then it should. Yeah, right? yeah, it should be translated. But I mean, yeah. if you're if you have like a, in person a translator who's translating okay. someone you're talking to, uh-huh. do they assume that you can see each other? Yes. Right. But do you have the same the same body language? The same body language. Do you understand what that means? Right. Because right? that is that is a gesture, but it does it does have the potential to mean something different depending on uh-huh. which um, culture you come culture, from. Culture. Yeah. So shrugging, for example, for me could mean something. For you could mean something completely different. Does it? Not really. <laughs> it's like, uh-uh. uh Shrugging, but for us, but for somebody from a completely different place, it may mean something else. Is it, you know what? That That is a good question. I, is there a, like a dictionary of gestures that is like, this means this in this language, this means this in the, or this culture or, mm-hmm. or things that, you know, because that, that's stuff that doesn't always get, I would assume it doesn't always get translated, mm-hmm. like sort of the subtleties of facial gestures mm-hmm. and and general and other I, other gestures is there like a dictionary of those things or a study that studies how those things are different and how to communicate those things in different languages i'm sure there is because we can't assume that gestures are universal. I think people sometimes do though, right? Yeah, but i don't think we should. Like right, for example, no, no. there's I know there are languages where uh, when you're nodding, you mean no, as opposed to yes. And when you're shaking your head, you mean yes, as opposed to, as yeah. opposed to no. So that's a pretty big difference, Yeah. right? Between yeah. saying oh, yes definitely. or no. While there are things that may be universal, the way you accomplish them may not. Okay. And so we, I don't think we should assume it. And it is a form of translation to what does that gesture mean, mm-hmm. right? And it could be something that is... Very offensive in my culture, right. but it is not offensive in yours. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, uh, there's there's the, the middle finger. Or the okay sign. Don't do the okay sign in Brazil. Okay, so th- if this is something really dirty, that's okay. Because I'm not going to censor it. But what does that mean? It's, yeah, it's like doing like this. Oh, you got to do it upside down? Yeah. Okay. It's not like you doing the okay sign like this is fine, but doing it like this is not. Both you should probably not do. Okay. And I'll have to I'll have to research Do some this research and translate okay. it. Okay, okay, because we did we did tell a story on one of the previous shows uh, about the word fanny pack, and the word fanny in Britain, Australia, means vagina, mm-hmm. and so that that's and that's not what it means here. It means 
butt or booty or whatever Uh and how that sort of translation when you don't know it you can be embarrassed by it is it a similar Mm -hmm. sort of situation where it's dirty so don't do that okay it's not something where people are going to get offended by you doing the okay sign and hit you or is it something where that is the case no i don't think they would hit you okay okay they'd just be like (gasps) yeah what are you doing okay i'm really you've got my you got my gears turning on this i want to figure out what it is then i'll probably text you later going oh that's not too bad no no (laughs) so translating things you talked a little bit about movies Mm -hmm. and one of the things i think i spoke to you about earlier maybe yesterday while we were grocery shopping was the translations of movie titles Mm -hmm. and how they can be different but i think a movie title to some extent should be descriptive so you said that there were some translations from was it English into Portuguese, into Portuguese mm-hmm. that were interesting translations? And funny enough, they are very descriptive in Portuguese and not as much as in, they are in English. Right. Um, and I think, and we, I think we're going to end up talking about that too when it comes to video games, right? And it's about knowing your audience and mm-hmm. knowing the culture and what is going to captivate them, right? Right. right. And so I guess that's what movie title translators to Portuguese have in mind when they're translating into Portuguese, right? Sometimes they're just like downright hilarious because okay. it makes no sense. Right. But other times it's just like they're a lot of the times actually you get more details about the movie itself in the title in Portuguese. Right. Than you do in English. Does it work in the opposite direction? Because funny enough, and that's something that I really never understood about Brazilian media, Brazilian soap operas used to be amazing. I I don't know now because I haven't watched any in the past like seven years or 10 years. But Brazilian movies were never that good for some reason. They they produced a lot of great soap operas, but Brazilian movies, not that many. Okay. And they're usually, like if you go back in the day, they're mostly porn. But they're not really porn. (laughs) They are actually movies. but no, not No, not soft. Oh, Okay. Yeah, you see okay. everything. Okay, but, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but for some reason, I, th- I don't think Brazilian movies are as famous or as good and therefore as famous um, here in the U.S. So I can't think off the top of my head right now of a translation of a movie title right. from Portuguese into English. Black The Black Orpheus one would be the, I don't, that would be the only thing. I think in Portuguese it's just Ofeu. It's just Ofeu. The name of the of the person, the, the character. Oh, okay. So I guess there is more in English than there is the in description, Portuguese. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. This is something to look at, actually, and study, right? Yeah. When you translate a title to another audience, do you necessarily need it to make it more descriptive? Why Black or, or, or how do you even pronounce it? Black or, Orpheus? Yeah. And not just Ophiel. Yeah. Why not well, just or- Orpheus? Orpheus being the... Because um, he's the character and he's black, right? But well, but Orpheus is also a... Mythical character. Yeah, myth- mythological yeah, character, yeah. right? That It's the retelling of the story. And maybe but black... But why do you have to identify him as black in well, the title of the movie? But maybe it's the mood you're describing, not the, not the person, not the ethnicity. I think the ethnicity is the more, like, obvious. But black, it's like there's black comedy. Could just mean dark. Or, or something to that effect, as in, you know, because we have, like I said, black comedy yeah. is, is comedy that's that's comedy that's darker mm-hmm. or more the subject matter. So yeah. it could be, I mean, dark you know, magic. Yeah, exactly. Like dark, that, right. Yeah. Black magic, right. Oh, black magic, not dark magic. Well, right. Collocations. Same, right, right, right. No, no, no. We, 
we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. It is more descriptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how and why it was changed mm-hmm. is would probably be an interesting study to do on movie titles. Yeah, I looked up here some. So if you look at some Brazilian, some English titles to Brazilian. Right? Okay, I'm I'm ready for this. Are I'm you ready, ready to for laugh. This? Yes. So the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. Three men in conflict. Three men in conflict. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's that's not very descriptive. Well, I guess it is it descriptive is. It is to descri- the point, yeah. right? Pulp Fiction is Pulp Fiction. Okay. A violent time. The Green Mile. The Green Mile is waiting for a miracle. That yeah. So nothing okay. to do with it's not a, a literal translation of the right, Green Mile, right. right? I haven't watched this movie, but it's a Snatch, Pigs and Diamonds. Okay. <laughs> Snatch is a, it's a Guy Ritchie movie. Um, if you're not familiar with Guy Ritchie. Madonna's Guy Ritchie? Didn't he date Madonna? Or were married? Yeah. And also, there was a BMW series of commercials he did with, maybe that's where he met her. I talk about this BMW series. They did these high-end commercials. But anyway, it was it was just a, you know, like a 15-minute short from a famous director. And the mm-hmm. one that Guy Ritchie did had Madonna in it. Yeah, I wasn't aware of their romance, but it makes sense. And so, two more here. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Un- Hunting. Uh-huh. Okay. Unconquerable Genius. Unconquerable Genius. Yeah. And then Home Alone. Okay. They Forgot Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trigger warning on that one. The Shawshank Redemption. Okay. A Dream of Liberty. Some of these make sense. Yeah. So, it's kind of describing what the movie is. Right. Right. Ocean's Eleven, Eleven Men in a Secret. Eleven. (laughs) I think that's my favorite one, Eleven Men in a Secret. Yeah. It's just being very descriptive and giving some information away, I guess. Right. That's interesting that you have to think that those translations are done intentionally knowing knowing the the audience, right? Mm -hmm. Do we assume when something's translated or should we assume when something's translated the context of the of of what it is to the the target culture mm-hmm. as opposed to the source culture uh-huh. is accurate do we make those assumptions has that changed over time do we assume translations are correct or do we put more stock in translations so what do you mean by correct translation yeah that's the tricky part right so in i think in italian uh, what is the the saying translator traitor Okay. So, is the translator changing? Can, can we trust the person who is translating? Or is the person who is translating being loyal to what they are translating? Right. And to what extent do you want them to be loyal? And do you, to what extent do you want them not to? Right. You know, because when you translate like a movie title like this, you can probably assume that the people who are doing that they have an understanding of the audience, right? right? And what is going to captivate the audience. Because they want it to sell. There's a monetary component. Yes. So what it, what would be a correct translation? Is it a translation yeah. that gears towards the receiver? Mm-hmm. Or is it a translation that is faithful to... The original. Original. And I guess it depends, too, on the context, right? If it is, for example, legal translation, like you're translating... Uh, a transcript, a university transcript, or you're you translating want, a marriage certificate. You want right. that you to want be want more f- literal. Exactly. Right. right? Whereas but if it's something like fiction. What do you want? 
And what kind of translation do you want too? Like, for example, if you think about music or poems, you're translating that, but poems have a sound component yeah. to it, right? Yeah. So do you want to translate to be faithful to the sound? Or do you want to translate and be faithful to the meaning? Because sometimes you can't get both when you're translating yeah. because you're not going to have the same words with the same sounds to achieve the same effect that you have in the original language. I just saw the other day um, Humpty Dumpty in French. And it's really cool. You see in French, you hear it in French. Uh -huh. And this, um, this person who translated this particular version and then we call it a version i guess uh not an actual translation they translated the sound and the effect but they the words are completely different like the sound and the effect so an so example humpty dumpty had a great fall right, right. humpty dumpty sat on a wall and humpty dumpty had a great fall right so they translated to french using words that would imitate the sound okay Kind of like like onomatopoeia. No, because it was actual. It was real words. Pop is a real word. It's a word that makes the sound that it's like. But uh, but an actual but an actual word. So I th I have it here. Um, but I can't speak French. <laughs> okay. But it's basically like this: un, un petit d'un petit. Okay. C'est un hall. Like it's so it keeps the the sound. But the if you would translate back from French into English, uh -huh. it. The translation would be this. A little person from another little person amazes himself in a hall. Oh, degrees need you. Wow. But okay. if you read that in French, right. the sound is the same sound. So it's mimicking the, 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 the tone. The, the phonetics. The, yeah. yeah, right. The phonetics. And, and, and Okay, so it's mimicking the sound that the English makes when it's doing it. But it's the translation... If you look at the actual translation, it's almost completely... Yeah, there's no Humpty Dumpty and there's it's no It's nonsensical? Fall. Yeah, it's nonsensical, yeah. But is this a translation? Is it a correct translation? Yeah. If it's just trans translating the sound? Hmm. So I think there's a lot to think about and to unpack what exactly you mean by a correct translation. Yeah, that's true. And I think when we, when we talked about this earlier in the Nora pre-show, depends on your audience... It depends on the, the purpose of, the, you know, the translating. Mm -hmm. And the freedom. Yeah. Are translators artists too? Authors as well? Are they writers? Or should they be? Because if you're translating, are you recreating something? Are you just mimicking? Or are you creating something completely new? I don't have an answer. <laughs> it's just one of those philosophical yeah. sort of things. Yeah. Something that you said about translating things and songs and prose. I remember a song by a German. It was done by two different bands, but it's basically Falco. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Falco. Mm -hmm. German uh, 80s, you know, pop, uh, sort of electro pop kind of song. There's a song that he that they did. He did a version with his band called After the Fire. That's the name of the band. But it's called Der Commissar. I believe the version that is done as After the Fire is all in English. Mm -hmm. And the version that's done by Falco solo is all in German. I, you know, I never thought about translating the German and mm -hmm. seeing how it lines up to the English. Because mm -hmm. it, the song itself kind of evokes the same feeling. But what you said about... Mm -hmm 
the French, <laughs> that thing. It's like, do I really know yeah. that the meaning is the same? I know it gives the same feeling. Like if I hear e- uh-huh. either version of it, I feel the same. And there are also some other bands, like if you've ever heard of Bjork, Icelandic. Uh-huh. She does some songs in her native tongue mm-hmm. and some that have been translated into English. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as far back as there was a band she was in called The Sugar Cubes, and they did versions in both English and Icelandic. Mm-hmm. And I'd never, I'd never even thought about going back and seeing how the translations worked for mm-hmm. those and w- whether or not they did work. Mm-hmm. I, I do and know. And what were they translating? Yeah. yeah. If it was the sound or the feeling or the message. Right. It could be, I mean, and I think all of those things are valid. It depends on your audience, mm-hmm. right? Or when we talked about it last time I was here um, about Simlish and Katy Perry's yes. song, yeah, right? right. <laughs> so is it a direct translation to Simlish? It was just the sounds that made it sound like it was airplanes, airports. I can remember the song. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't recall yeah, either. But yeah, it, yeah. And, and I think that the jury is sort of out on where Simlish is going. But but what Simlish generally did originally was just to translate the feelings through sounds right Mm -hmm. and then when more and more versions when it got popular they tried to take some of those situations where the sounds were made and use those consistently consistently some of them Uh and others they wanted to sound unique Mm -hmm. but like a language so some of them are made up and some of them are not. So mm-hmm. when someone gets a script from the the people at EA saying, okay, read these lines, you have to use these three Simlish words that have a meaning to what they're doing, mm-hmm. but the rest you can just, just make, make it up it. and yeah. we'll pick the one that sounds most like a sentence. Uh-huh. And, and I think that's just the way it's developed and maybe it just seems like a, a really weird way to reverse engineer a language. But I think the human brain tries to see patterns where they're not patterns. And, and translate, <laughs> Yeah. right? Yeah. Each person playing the game is translating whatever they are saying into whatever makes sense in the player's head. Right. Like, about what they're, and this is translation too. Like if they use a word that means that they see someone who's eating something mm-hmm. and what what does that word mean? Does it mean yummy? Does it mean eating? Does it mean satisfied? I mm-hmm. mean, what is, what is the, the word that they're saying mm-hmm. as it relates to eating food can mean any number of things, mm-hmm. right? So who's to say that the translation there is even, it's, it's, it seems to me it's more about the sound and less about actual mm-hmm. translation and in getting a language correct. They're, mm-hmm. just, they're using those words as a guide and less as trying to create a language, and, I think. And I think, just occurred to me here like you're saying the word like eating right right but there's also different ways of eating are they like devouring something right are right. they just swallowing it whole or how they're doing that right and then maybe some languages have different verbs for different ways of eating and others don't and then how you interpret that it depends on what language you speak right or like like just saying yummy yeah you know like mmm this is good. Like, how does it? How do? How do you do it in in Portuguese? Like, if you see, say, have something that's delicious, and you go, "Oh, this is so good," or "Mmm, mm, yummy." Yeah. Or you would, in the old times, just hold your earlobe. Seriously? Yeah. That you just hold your earlobe. Yeah, you do it like this. And then that means yummy. Uh huh. Oh, 
And, pff, I yeah. never knew that. <laughs> and that's a Portuguese sort of thing? Yeah. Or in Brazil. Brazil. Okay. I guess it's old-fashioned. I don't yeah. know if people do that anymore. But okay. Yeah. So, so you don't necessarily, you don't see, even say yummy. Sometimes that, that may be that. You just do this and then yeah. that's it. Huh. And I keep doing these gestures and I forget that people are not. <laughs> no, no. I mean, just describing that you yeah. hold your little, hold your earlobe. Yeah. That's, that's fine. Let's see. It's hard not to think about video games when it comes to translations as far as I am concerned because mm-hmm. I play a lot of video games and games that are created uh, by J- Japanese companies. So I like that kind of JRPGs and things of that variety. But as it relates to mathematics, where you're taking an object in in a Euclidean, or like you know, like a, a graphic, Euclid, uh-huh. and and moving it essentially, that is called a translation, also. And that's sort of what I think of when I think of the word translation is that whole movement. I don't mm-hmm. know why that's one of the first things that pops into my head, but it was maybe it's one of those leftover things from when I was younger. So when I think of translation, that's what I think of as moving an object. And you can think of that in also like as it relates to video games as far as sprites or things that shapes that are moving too. But it's hard not to think about how translation affects languages, you know, also. I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably it's probably that's the more the more common one in my head, but I also think of the translation of an object in space which you're giving me the blank stare and you're going, well, Because whatever. that is definitely not yeah, the first, definitely not, the second, right, right, or the right. third thing that comes That's probably to. the second for me. It's probably, <laughs> probably the second, yeah. And I, I was actually trying to go back to like eighth grade math yeah. to see if I remember any of that. Yeah, it's just a, it's just like on a, on a you know... Um, on a graph, right? On a graph, and, and right. then you do and you just it. Take, the, take the object and move it by moving uh, it vertically yeah. and horizontally. And that's moving the object. You mm-hmm. take it, move it up, move it to the side. You move each part of of the like each point. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't don't ask. You're, you're giving me like, <laughs> what are you crazy? The beauty of different minds. Yeah, perspectives yeah. And, and how we learn things and how we pick up things and assign mm-hmm. the meanings. It just kind of goes back to the know your audience mm-hmm. and and the appreciation of something that's translated depends on the. Anyone who's watching, whatever that creative thing is, how they connect to it. And I, I think it's interesting that you're mentioning that because it's primarily visual. And when I think of movies or when I think of video games, the translation is not only in the... And you know how I do not play video games. And the idea that I have is that depending, especially on these role-play games, that you have people talking or the characters talking right? right but you also have language on the screen correct to indicate things yeah older games use language on the screen uh-huh. typically nowadays it is it is dubbed you have the option to do both like if you have a game that's like the game that i'm playing which is called neo the world ends with you uh-huh. uh, you can have it turn on the subtitles and have it read it to you and then uh-huh. you can also have it either in the original japanese or dubbed in english but correct me if I'm wrong, but like when you're translating mm-hmm. and for a video game, right? Right. I assume that you have to be really careful when you, and with other mediums as well, media as well, but with video games in particular, because it, because the game has a certain speed, right? Uh-huh. And if you translate something, 
into another language, you may be translating into something that it will be a longer sentence or a longer word. Right. So that affects the timing. If you have it dubbed, for example, right? Or even right. if you have the subtitle, the time that it takes for a person to read or to listen to that dubbed version mm -hmm. may affect the timing of the game. Wouldn't it? Right. It could, yeah. Sometimes there are syncing issues mm -hmm. where, where you have syncing with actual Just like in motion. Mo the movies, yeah. right? With mocap, that's different because you can actually sync the two things together. Like if you have someone who speaks English and they do the mocap on them, they just do mocap on another mm -hmm. person. Or I think software is much more advanced when it comes to mouth movement mimicry. And how about the visual on mm -hmm. the screen. Yeah. Like if you have in Japanese just one symbol and that's tiny and it occupies the perfect space where you want it to be, right? Right. But then you translate into English and it's a long word. Right. That has to be programmed and probably... There's um, a lot going on more than just, oh, let me just translate this word, Oh, right? exactly. But we were talking offline about localizations being an important part of that. That is also taken into account, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're we've got a word in kanji and the word in kanji is not going to be, <laughs> it's going to take up far less space, right? Mm -hmm. By design, because uh -huh. it, it's a symbol to word translation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a bunch of interesting sort of conundrums. And then also like the way people read in the different mm -hmm. languages, like there's some languages where you read top to bottom as or opposed to right left to, to right. Left. And But anyway, go, go ahead. I was just thinking of what Nora said. Oh, okay. About who is a better translator. Should a game translator be game savvy and a game player? Like, or could a person who does not play video games right. translate for a video game company? My opinion is probably not the majority. It would depend on who you're marketing to, obviously, right? And what the focus of that company is. Uh, for me, I would rather the authenticity of what the original meeting was. And does that mean that that person is knowledgeable in games? Who's, I mean, like there are people who, who are employed as voice actors who do play games. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are employed as voice actors who do not play games. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that they do something different in their acting? No, it's, it's a job. It's acting. As far as translating, though, that is taking something that is acted or expressed or whatever and putting it to words. I would like to think that you would want someone who has some knowledge of video games, but I think what would suffice is if they read a lot or know storytelling a lot. And maybe in, maybe in the target language, the way we tell stories over here, I think that would be something that you would want if you don't have video game experience. But then again, for me, I'm all focused on story. I'm not focused on game mechanics necessarily because mm -hmm. you want those translations to be literal. When you push left, this thing happens. Mm -hmm. And when you do this button combination, this thing happens. Those mm -hmm. should be literal translations anyone should be able to do, right? Like a left quarter circle turn or a left. I, mean, I would not be able to translate that to Portuguese. Rotate your left thumbstick a quarter circle to the right. Oh, I guess I could, <laughs> but and then press the B button or press the square button. Sorry, and but like those, like those, you know, when you have tricks. I don't know. This is just me trying to remember conversations uh -huh. that I've had with friends yeah. who play games. Like certain tricks have names. 
okay. like jargon for video games, I would say. Is that true? I don't right. know. That I like would not for, necessarily know. I would probably translate what you just said to me literally, but maybe they say the exact same thing in Portuguese with two words right. because it's video game language. Okay. Does that make any sense? I, I think so. Instead of saying like rotate a quarter, like, you know, like yeah, a street fighter circle that we were the, talking about. Exactly. That's, right? that's, yeah, like quarter circle to the right and then press the B button or however you want to. Semicirculo para direita. I don't know. I don't know if you would actually say all these words in Portuguese. Right. Or you could just say this and people in that community would understand, would understand based on that it means the, this. That would be a cultural shorthand probably, right? Mm -hmm. As far as or the way jargon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost certain that it's got to be that in Japan where I don't know a lot of those things that there is a way to communicate that in a very in an easier way. Mm -hmm. Not just using the hiragana or the katakana as opposed to just kanji, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It all depends on the type of video game player too. I think uh, uh, if someone who my, like myself who wants more story and wants a story that evokes feelings and wants to be told a story. So I want someone who has expertise in that area. But if someone who is really into the game mechanics part of it and descriptive of what's what happens when you do certain things. I don't know if that's necessary. Mm -hmm. It might be. Honestly, I think if you're into the, more of the game mechanics, you want someone who's more descriptive about how to accomplish a task. So I don't know. I guess it depends on your audience or what you want. Or on the type of game. Not all games are storytelling games, right? Right, exactly. And then also when you try and translate something that's not really a storytelling game or try and add descriptions of things, you get some, well, not just translation errors as far as syntax, or you're trying to mimic the sounds, and mm -hmm. like you said, but the sound that's mimicked is not quite what it means. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Did I answer your question? <laughs> I yeah. mean, do you want me to give you the thumbs up about going into video games and being a translator? For me, no, because I would never do it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so much research and like i was telling you before like when i had to translate a medical article right, right. and i'm not in the medicine field so right. right come to think of it even a lot of the terms that i've studied about linguistics and about languages i only learned them in english okay so if i were to say explain to somebody what my field is and what i do in portuguese it would take a little uh, not a little a lot of brain power Right. To actually be able to translate that into the words. And I may actually ha even have to do research to see how these words that I use in English are used in the field in Portuguese. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there is a lot of research there. And I would assume it would be the same for game. Well, if you, if you need a tutor, <laughs> I'm your guy. <laughs> I should probably like start playing games first and then. <laughs> I can get you up to speed on, on video game stuff. If you have any specific questions about what things mean, I get that a lot too. I'll stick to my Sudoku. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One thing before we get into video games proper, there was a Twilight Zone episode that I was kind of, I don't know, if infatuated with or is the right word, that was about a translation error. It was called To Serve Man. Twilight Zone. Do you remember Twilight Zone? Did yeah. you ever see it in syndication? No. Yeah. <laughs> You've never seen that, but you're familiar with it. I'm you familiar with it, okay. yes. Ran on CBS from 1959 to 1964. 
episode 89, number 24 in season 3. Not that anyone needs this information. In 1959, think about that time, if you can. My mom was three years old. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, to serve man. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the opening monologue. I don't know if I should do Rod Serling's vocal tones or whatever, but I'm going to just read the opening monologue to this episode. Respectfully submitted for your perusal, a canamite, height a little over nine feet, weight in the neighborhood of 350 pounds, origin unknown, motives, therein hangs the tale. For in just moments, we're going to ask you to shake hands figuratively with a Christopher Columbus from another galaxy and another time. This is The Twilight Zone. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen a show from the 1950s. The whole premise of this episode is that an alien race comes down and assists the human race in ending famine and war and poverty. Gives them technology that helps them accomplish world peace. There is someone who's given a book that was handed to the government as far as this is our book to someone who was supposed to translate it into English. They got as far as To Serve Man, which was the title of the book. The, the right. Then world peace happens. They did something, you know, this doesn't make any sense, but they communicated telepathically, but people, they still didn't trust them quite even after they got the technology. So they hooked them up to like a lie detector thing, which to me makes it, why would you, you know, it's an alien. You yeah. don't know how their <laughs> physiology works or whatever, or where yeah. they have sweat glands, but okay. Telltale signs of lie. Exactly. They, they tried to detect those or, mm-hmm. you know. By human sort of, standards. By human standards, if there was deception involved, which they couldn't detect. And then after this happened, people would want to go, you know, they describe their world as this utopia and, you know, everyone's happy and everyone's, you know, at peace and all this. Mm-hmm. And so people would travel to the, their planet conceivably to, to live the rest of their lives. And then one of the guys who was assigned, who, who basically said, well, we've got the, we've got the title and it's very clear that there's peace here. Mm-hmm. We can just assume but there was a woman who who kept at we have to translate this uh-huh. and worked on translating the book and just as the guy who's the head of the group who was doing the translation was getting on the ufo to go off to the planet she comes in and she goes mr chambers don't get on that craft what the rest of the book is a cookbook which seems like a silly concept or do you think that that is something that if we're not even talking aliens, if aliens exist, but would that be something when you're translating a word, is there that duality necessarily in that other language? So one of the criticisms of this episode, which is it's silly to criticize because it's, I think it's more of a thought experiment and less of a literal sort of thing, knowing the motives of some complete stranger, right? Mm -hmm. Or trying to detect those. What do you think of that concept? I mean, you have languages where one word means one thing, but then also you would have one word in that alien language, let's say, that means multiple things in our language. So maybe they didn't know that it had a dual meaning, or maybe they did. 
Does this sound like a silly concept? It sounds for, like what happens. Okay. Right? Right. Because. Like Ich bin ein Berliner. Like I'm a jelly donut or yeah. whatever. You may or may not have that one-to-one translation. And then does it rest upon the translator to choose the correct word to mean that? And does the translator know exactly the nuance Right. Right. Was it done on purpose? Right. Like in this right. case. Like right. Like in this case of the alien, was it done to deceive? Uh huh. And then the problem was, what if it was meant this way and it was translated this way, or what if it was not meant this way and it was translated in a different way? Right. So I think it, it's assumed in the episode that it was deception as opposed to. That's why translation is so hard, right? Yeah. You want to make sure that you're conveying exactly. That's the whole idea of like, are, is the translator a traitor? Right. 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 Or not. Translator, traitor. Yeah. In certain situations, you most obviously want to be truthful to what the person is saying. Right. right? Preparing for this, I read this example of this young lady who had been caught smuggling drugs okay. in the airport. Right? right. And so she was taken to a room mm -hmm. with an interpreter. And the young lady was asked to tell the officers the story of her life up until that point. Okay. And it was the job of the interpreter to interpret what she was saying. Right. Now, think about the job of this person interpreting what this young lady was saying, right? Okay. Do you, you want to make sure that you're conveying exactly what she's saying? Because depending on what words or grammatical structure that you choose, you may portray her as more innocent than she actually is. Right. So it's very tricky because you want to be as faithful as you can to the original message. Right. Right. And so... Would there be certain governments that would use that to their advantage, kind of? Yeah. And then in other, in other cases, right, you may not be as neutral. Or another example is activism. So you're translating, what if you empathize with them? Mm -hmm. How is that affecting your translation? Right. And what if you don't empathize with them? What words are you choosing to translate what they're saying? Yeah. So it's, I think it's a very tricky job. As far as bias is concerned, there's always bias. And, mm -hmm. and to say that someone is unbiased is a falsehood because everyone has a certain level right mm -hmm. of the, of that it's based on whatever their perspective is their mm -hmm. their life's perspective so of course we'll have bias but then there's this intentional kind of like yeah some of it that is implicit or explicit like whether or not there is a reason why they're uh, or conscious and unconscious but if you right, empathize right, right. with somebody then you're going to try as your best to translate what they're saying but in a positive, in, in a positive way. way right and it may be conscious it may be not and so what do you do in a case like this too with the the, the cookbook right right you, you base your translation on their actions possibly because they seem to be good in helping mm -hmm. the world right mm -hmm. but then he finds out it's a cookbook yeah <laughs> A silly sort of thing, but it kind of fits into translation. Yeah. So and now, the words that you're going to choose. Right, right. Exactly. You did some video game research, did you not? I did. Okay. <laughs> Lay it on me. Um, no, and I think we've, we've touched on this before. 
I think the key word when it comes to translation within the video game sphere is localization, right? Right. And you're, but it's not only about the translation itself. It's also audiovisual, right? Mm -hmm. It's also taking into consideration the timing of the game, the um, pace, the pace. Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, that's. I think that would be a better word too to show you as much as I know about video no, games. No, no, that's right? no, no. But the timing yeah, that makes sense. It's um, it's the pace, the speed. Right. right, the speed that it will take you to read something mm -hmm. in the other language, right? Right, and so and this whole idea of to what extent one needs to know about video games to be able to translate and to keep it authentic, mm -hmm. right? To keep, and not only that, but taking into consideration the user experience, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's. I don't know if it is more important, but I think these days it probably is more important. Yeah, but I'm I'm thinking like trying to compare to a book or okay. a movie, right? Yeah. A game is different because it's interactive, like yeah, very exactly. interactive, mm -hmm. right? There's an interaction component. Mm -hmm. And knowing how the audience in that particular culture and language will deal with what the video game is without distracting from the goals of the game itself. Very hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The localization piece yeah. being very important as mm -hmm. far as making sure you're staying true to the original story, but mm -hmm. it's also knowing your audience and, and what story will be received. Maybe there is a translation that is not necessarily an error, but it is done. It's done in such a way to make it more palatable or more accepting. Maybe it's a little censorship. I don't know. There are things visually that get censored in video games because of the ratings board rankings that we have mm -hmm. sometimes they'll cover parts and and, mm -hmm. and things of that nature for mm -hmm. for video games but that's different i think than translating and and censoring things or mm -hmm. concepts or maybe it isn't like i mean i don't know because i don't know multiple languages i don't know japanese necessarily well enough to make that determination i know some interesting cultural things and how about curse words like i'm thinking gta they use curse words, mm -hmm. right? How is that translated? And to what degree these are translated to a word that has the same level of profanity or, right. you know, in the other yeah. language, yeah, in the target culture? Yeah, curse words are interesting, I think, in that way. During our pre-show with Nora, towards the end, she mentioned the fact that she was watching the first episode of a series called The Pentaveret. They have a bit in there, a comedic bit, where... They go through a scene that's got tons of profanity in it. And one of the other characters is saying, do Americans swear like this all the time? I mean, like, what is the deal here? After it gets through the end of the scene, it cuts to a Netflix executive or an actor playing a Netflix mm -hmm. executive saying, due to the filth of this, we, we're going to play replay the scene with all of the curse words cut out of it. And the way it's filmed is in such a way that it makes it worse. That there, are, it's it's more suggestive uh -huh. <laughs> visually when you cut out all the curse words. How those things all fit together mm -hmm. is kind of a puzzle, mm -hmm. and it may be funny or it may be offensive, depending. But curse words are are kind of kind of interesting. And it's not really a curse word, but there's a well-known translation error in the Final Fantasy series. I don't know if you read about it. It's where someone calls another character a spoony bard. Like there's a situation where they're saying something derogatory to one of the characters who is a bard. 
right? Mm-hmm. Who's a musical guy who, you know. A poet. Exactly. And she calls him a spoony bard, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> I was going to ask you what that right. means because I, I don't know. What does spoony mean? Yeah. And it's just something that they kept in there. So now mm-hmm. there are references in other works mm-hmm. to that mistranslation calling someone a spoony bard and these are back in the older you know i say older days but i say like you can go back to even arcade games Mm -hmm. and first second generation when the japanese started getting involved with the nintendo Mm -hmm. entertainment system i would say that's the point at which there was a higher possibility of mistranslations based on the fact it was probably an afterthought right it's Mm -hmm. like we've got the programming for the game the game is a game that's Mm -hmm. supposed to provide enjoyment the translation is secondary yeah we just just like the language in sims right right exactly originally it wasn't supposed to be a a thing the language was secondary and so as games developed and got more and more advanced and Mm -hmm. more focused on telling a story Mm -hmm. that's where these translation errors started to get I guess funny, but also just kind of like is almost the direct translation doesn't always work. Games are supposed to teach you how to, like a good game, I think. Mm-hmm. Any game. Right. It teaches you how to become a better player by you playing it mm-hmm. and not really with instructions or anything, I don't think. Right? Well, yeah, by that's, trial and error. Right? Well, it gives you immediate feedback. Well, these days, yes. But back in the older days, you did have a manual that told you how to accomplish the tasks. And part of. So you needed the language. Sometimes, well, at the very least, the visuals on what little graphics of this button, Mm -hmm. and then it shows a picture of someone who looks like they're jumping, things of that nature. That's the way, like in an IKEA furniture sort of way, where it's a visual language. In the early days of games, there was sort of a different process on, we give you this set of instructions. It's like an instruction manual. We tell you how you navigate and play the game, and then you kind of figure the rest out. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that you figure out as a part of the game, it tells you, but generally it was, you've got to figure things out generally on Uh your own. Uh As games became more and more complex in storytelling and game dynamics and and how you operate these different characters and what powers you Mm -hmm. use, and the concepts of adding additional steps, which is called an X plus one teaching method, where Mm -hmm. you don't want to give the player an entire booklet of here's how you do everything right off the bat, because it can confuse the player to the point where they don't want to play it. Uh You want to kind of introduce them to new concepts as you advance in the game Uh that broaden the scope in a way that makes it easier to play. And those Mm -hmm. are like tutorials and things. Mm -hmm. So good games these days, a good tutorial is very important when you're adding complexity in a game. To the game. Uh Yeah. The good games do it well, and the games that aren't so good, either they overdo it, or the pacing of the tutorial, it you know basically turns you off to a point you don't want to actually get into the actual story. Uh-huh. It's a balancing act. I mean, am I able to play a Japanese dating simulator? No. Mm-hmm. Am I able to play a Japanese fighting game on my Dreamcast over there? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. because I know the general sort of outline of how fighting games mm-hmm. work, and I also have a, a base knowledge of how the U.S. version works. Mm-hmm. So by those things, I don't necessarily have a translation guide, mm-hmm. 
but I have a guide in another way, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you and I have your background knowledge. Right. Exactly. I guess that guide would be yeah. my background knowledge, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or your schemata, right, of how games work. Right. How As if- opposed to if I, like, the way you approach a new game, it's mm-hmm. definitely not the same way that I would approach a game. Right. Because right. I don't play games. And, and so I don't have any of that background information that you have about how games work. Right. There's also styles of games or genres of games, a puzzle game. You're not going to yeah. come into a puzzle game the way you're going to come into a fighting game. Exactly. There's not, you know, like an adventure game is going to be different than a sports game. Or a strategic one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Until you actually play some games and kind of figure out what you mm-hmm. like and what you don't like. It's all going to be a foreign experience to you. Okay. So here are some examples I got from a website about translation errors. They give a period of time over like 10 to 20 years ago when we stopped having these or, or you know, less of these translation errors and more focus on developing a game that's for a global audience as, po- as opposed to wherever it's developed. The domestic audience, if you will, mm-hmm. a Japanese game. In some cases, you'd have a game that was really popular there that wouldn't be popular here, so you wouldn't translate it and sell it. Uh-huh. Early in the days of translation, what is this article from? It's a website called dailytranslations.com. And I think it is a group of people who do localizations and translations for companies and projects. So Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a company. I didn't go too far into the the website itself beyond that, but it looks like I said it looks That's like it's it's a business. It's trying to sell you on how these things are very important in uh-huh. video games, and then trying to sell their product. Right. It's it's basically saying here are some examples of how it, everything can go wrong. Yeah. Please hire us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> That's the, what I saw when I was doing some research. Like, yeah. At the very bottom is like. By the way, we do this kind of work. We know what we're doing. Right, exactly. We have knowledgeable people in in these areas Mm -hmm. and know about storytelling or know about the game world or a little bit As you should, I think, right? Well, that's that, but that seems to me like why you were probably very successful as a translator, but also created a lot of work for yourself is you want to understand the audience to a mm-hmm. point where can you fully understand your audience? You want to, mm-hmm. you want to understand enough to deliver an accurate portrayal of what you're given in a uh-huh. different language. But at the same time, how do you know when you know enough, right? Mm-hmm. There's that sort of analysis paralysis thing that can come into place where you're just doing so much research. So, mm-hmm. You seem to be a very studious person, uh-huh. and I think that you would probably err on the side of over doing it <laughs> or adding more information. Right? To right. what extent do you need to add? Like even like something simple as the name of a course. Right? If you're translating a transcript, to what extent do you have to give more information to explain what that course was? Right. Or a degree. What does this degree entail? Is it equivalent so that you can your audience can make an informed decision of Yes, this is equivalent to a master's degree, or this is equivalent to a, I don't know, certificate or something, right? Right. Isn't something like that? Well, like if you're doing course translations, though, wouldn't there also be a syllabus that would be you're, you're translating the syllabus, so you should have a general sort of organization mm-hmm. of not the necessarily. Concept. Like, for no? example, if you're applying to university here, you submit a translation of 
your transcript, but not of this, all the syllabi, you know, uh, of everything. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it has to be descriptive to a point where it's understood that mm -hmm. these things apply to whatever this degree is. Gotta say, it's very expensive to get because I had to do, and at least in Brazil it is, um, in my state, mm -hmm. we have, I think, 10 people who are legally qualified to do translations of those of those sorts mm -hmm. and the job is theirs and only if they die or retire that it will be occupied by somebody else okay. and it is very expensive okay to do that kind of work it's very specialized right right, so, right. as it should be they probably do make some money oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it is like you said a lot of work yeah. right mm -hmm. if the translation experience that you have is any is any indicator mm -hmm. i would i would say that was probably even more work involved. there's a lot of responsibility in yeah. the hands of a translator yeah. right exactly mm -hmm. and do you think that do, do you trans well i mean this is kind of a silly question but i've got to think that translators on some level have some sort of anxiety at some point of like did i say the right thing or if there are multiple ways of saying things maybe they can get some anxiety about that oh, yeah. you know? and i would go as far as saying that interpreters have oh, yeah, more yeah. trouble because it's live it's simultaneous right right, right. Can exactly you imagine like translating at a like an united nations mm -hmm. conference yeah you know like the power that you have in your hands and the problems that you can cause if you translate one word wrong very but interesting let's go back to video games okay <laughs> <laughs> there's one other example metal gear solid you probably don't know about this game. No. One of the funny sort of memes about this game is there's a, there's a whole situation. This doesn't have to do with the translation, but I think it's hilarious. Where uh, basically your character will hide under a box. Mm -hmm. So it's a cardboard box that hides the character. So some, uh -huh. some other soldier comes by and you hide under a box. <laughs> and then you can move under the box. Uh-huh. As the, you know, it's like so. The, and the, it protects you? Yeah, it protects you. Or from, makes you invisible? It, it protects you from being discovered. Uh -huh. And so that's been one of these additions in, in any Metal Gear Solid game. You always have a cardboard box <laughs> that you use to uh -huh. hide from people. And uh, what but anyway, was the translation? It's a silly game mechanic. It's okay. not, It doesn't have a real translation, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, you have a box. That's how you hide from people okay. is you... <laughs> blend in as a box and when this box is following the character around they don't think oh my gosh a box a is box following, following no no it's just yeah. like oh hey that's just a box yeah it's a silly thing but in the part of that game there was a translation that was i have to think is well i mean i guess we can think of translation errors in a certain in a, in a group of things in a group in a different different ways right this seems like it's a, a grammatical sort of error. Mm -hmm. One of the characters in the script, it says, I feel asleep. I feel asleep. Instead of I fell asleep, it says I feel asleep. Oh, instead of, instead of I feel sleepy. I feel sleepy is another way to do it, yeah. right? Um, oh, well, that would be different than I fell asleep, though. Correct. A soldier who, who basically has fallen asleep but then it is a grammatical error. Is a spelling error? I think it's grammatical. Well, I feel asleep. But feel and fell, it's I a very common sleep. spelling error, though. Oh, yeah? 
well, at least with my students, okay. they, they will often make that error with F-E-E-L, F-E-L-L, oh, and okay. F-A-L-L. So it could have been a spelling that, mistake. Okay. So the, maybe that was a spelling Instead mistake. Instead of I feel asleep, right. they actually meant I fell asleep, but it spelled it wrong. So it could have been, I don't know, it could have been a spelling mistake. It could have been a grammar mistake. There was a game called Pro Wrestling where the text appears every time you defeat an opponent. A winner is you. You're the winner. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's an, it, yeah, I think that's more obvious. Yeah. So I guess the, it maybe was a word for word translation. Yeah. In the word order, it's, whatever the language was. Contra 3, the alien wars. One of the that is said is let's attack aggressively. It almost doesn't sound like a mistranslation. It's let's attack aggressively, exclamation point. Why? Because attack is implied that is aggressively? Perhaps. I, I don't think that's a glaring let's attack aggressively. But how would you attack not aggressively? Passively. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. You, you could probably attack passively somehow, as opposed or to aggressively. Sneakily. Like let's let's go. You know, that's that's kind of like let's go. Or but maybe, like I was saying, maybe the language that it was translated from mm -hmm. has a verb that differentiates the type of uh, attacks. Okay. The example that I gave between eating and devouring something right, right 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 so maybe the language that it was translated from the verb actually meant more than just attack it was just attack really aggressively okay. and so when the person translated into i don't know if it was translated into english but if it were it was, translated, yeah, translated Jap into, Japanese to from english. japanese to english then it might have been the case that they had to use the adverb to describe a little more how the attack was being done okay the situation uh -huh. that, that prompted that is the character Bill was basically trying to convey that it's time for revenge. Let's attack aggressively was let's get our revenge. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It does kind of make sense to me, but at the same time, it is a little clunky, right? It doesn't actually. Yeah, it is redundant. The Ghost and the Goblins, this story is happy end. Thank you. Uh, but one, these are all older. That one sounds to me like a, a, a word order translation, just like a the winner is you a winner okay. is you I yeah think a winner that's is you it's kind i think of it's same. just a matter of a word order it translated word for word without taking into consideration the word order in that other language initiate super death brow like as in eyebrows oh. as opposed to it seems like it's an audio mistranslation for for blow bro brow but it could also be that the L and the R mm -hmm. are consonants that are differentiated in English, but they're not differentiated in other languages. And I think Japanese is one of them. Okay. Or Chinese. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a... a that uh, and seems so to the, the L and the R get mixed up. Mm -hmm. Just because of that fact? Yeah. Okay. See, now that that, that is the type of, yeah. like, the smart person. <laughs> the <laughs> person, the person in, who studied this. Who yeah, studied yeah. this, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like getting these, these mm -hmm. perspectives. Yeah. I did send you that video, which is really a popular one. You know, all of your base are belong to us, and uh -huh. you took a look at that meme. Do you have any thoughts on, on, on that, the way that was translated? Maybe it is passive voice in the language, okay. and it is not in English. And so 
in English, it should be belong to us, right? Your, your, all your bases belong to us. Right. But in the other language, maybe it's if our, it's something belongs, it is it, uh, the construction is passive. Our, okay. Belonged. So I guess like you were saying before, right? Translation errors can be categorized in many ways. Right. And in some instances, they are not errors. They were made on purpose, mm -hmm. right? To either explain it better to the audience or to make it more appropriate to the times. Mm -hmm. And so it may be an error, it may not be an error. There's a spectrum there, right? Yeah, And exactly. so many categories and so many things that can go wrong too. Correct. And to wrap up the show, unless you have something you want to add about specific video games, which I'm pretty sure you don't. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> this to me was very interesting. Another well-known meme is this one from the 1987 video game Zelda II, The Adventure of Link. You're Link, you're trying to save the princess, uh -huh. right? You Damsel in distress. Correct. I learned that in the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> the expression. Damsel in distress? Yeah. 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 Damsel in distress. Distress. <laughs> Damsel in distress. It doesn't have a translation in Portuguese? Probably does, but I that's one of those expressions that I just learned in English. I don't know. You don't know, right. There's nothing Portuguese. that there's nothing that you can relate if I say if you say that in Portuguese, there isn't something where okay, this phrase means similar. Well, I could I can translate word for word, but then again right. is that the expression. Correct. <laughs> right? Yeah. There is a character you run into whose actual name Sorry, was, I remembered Mosin Perigo. <laughs> If somebody's listening to this and they know Portuguese. Oh. <laughs> what was it again? Mocinha em perigo. Mocinha em perigo? Em perigo, in, in danger. Okay, okay. Oh, so woman in danger? Or? A little lady in danger. Okay, okay. Interesting. In the game, you go get to a certain point where you meet a character. Mm -hmm. And the character introduces himself. And that character says, I am error. E-R-R-O-R. -R -R. Mm -hmm. When a U.S. audience saw this, I think they immediately thought that it was it was a, an error. Uh -huh. Or there was something that it was put there intentionally to mm -hmm. indicate there was an error. Uh -huh. However, the truth is that they had two characters that generally looked the same. One was named Era, which is translated as error. Also, there was a name, Bagu, which is translated, uh, is basically a software bug in mm -hmm. Japanese, that mm -hmm. Bagu. Mm -hmm. Bagu wasn't translated into English as bug. They so, kept it. Right. Technically, the error was it wasn't translated from Bagu to bug instead of the error one, which uh -huh. was assumed was the translation error, uh -huh. which it wasn't. It was uh -huh. actually a literal translation. So the error, if they were doing literal translations, uh -huh. they both should have been they kept translated. The same. Right. Or translated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was sort of a software developer's joke. These two characters, error and bug. Mm -hmm. We should wrap up the show. Mango is getting a little tired here. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate you hanging out with me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's really interesting to think about all these nuances of language and what is an error and what is not an error, right? And right. Creativity and yeah. freedom to adapt. 
what is a version, what is a translation, yeah. you know, these things. It's it sounds like we have a lot more to talk about. This <laughs> this can quite literally go on for yeah. another three hours at least. But let's end the show uh, like we always do by saying thank you for joining us on the Too Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. And I'm Tenny. And we've been your hosts. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.